The Theonauts, episode 122. The one where a priest, a rabbi, and a secular humanist walk into a bar. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you Theo Not heads out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. Together we are the, the Theo Nots. Yeah. So, uh, have you heard that joke? The, the joke I was about to give you at the singer? <laughs> I have not. It's a pretty good joke. You want to hear it? Sure. Go ahead. All right. So, a priest, a rabbi, a Muslim, and a secular humanist walk into a bar. And uh, so they sit down and they're getting drinks. And uh, the priest says, My God was the God of Abraham. And the rabbi says, My. L was the L of Abraham, right? Yeah. And then the uh, Muslim, the Muslim says Allah was the Allah of Abraham, and the secular humanist says I don't believe in God, and the priest says, "Well, how can you not believe in God when you have all these scholars here that uh, that affirm that God exists?" And the secular humanist says. You know, uh, I'm I'm comfortable with three against one, and all of a sudden there's earthquakes and lightning, and God speaks out and He says, "I am the God, the Father of Abraham," and the secular humanist looks around and he goes, "All right, four against one." <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so uh, yeah, that's my joke. You doing all right? <laughs> yeah, how's it going? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right, dude. It's been a uh, a long week already and it's tuesday yeah (laughs) only tuesday it is it's only tuesday yeah we were in some text earlier (laughs) about uh with with people in the in our church that were having a difficult day terrible tuesday (laughs) we were talking about tuesday being named after the god of war aries (laughs) what what was his original i I guess yeah it's a germanic yeah. Version of the same god, Ares and Mars. Mars, yeah, mm-hmm. the god of war. Yeah, that guy's a jerk. And he, <laughs> so we were joking about how he hates teachers, especially Tuesdays are the worst for me, man. Mondays, really? Mondays, I'm like, all right, fresh start. We're doing new material this week. It's gonna be great. Tuesday, I'm just like, Ugh, this day will never end. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just one of those days, man. So. That's where I am. My Hopefully. Tuesdays aren't too bad, actually. Yeah, they're they're kind of busy on, on in the even the evening evening because yeah. all of the ladies come over here to the coffee shop for right. Bible study, and then and you try to do theonauts on top of that. Yeah, yeah. So sorry. <laughs> oh well. Hey, we you do what you have to do. That's right. Get it so, in there somewhere. Yeah. So. <laughs> Anyways, so are we ready to dive into this hot topic? Let's jump into it. All right. First off, you notice the stingers are back. Mm-hmm. It so. sounds nice. <laughs> I'm used to uh, these stingers, man. We got to keep them up because <laughs> I don't know what to do when they're not. I'm just like, when do I talk? So, anyway. Well, this this topic was kind of spurred on by 
conversation I had with with Michael over the um, at the Finding Christ in Cinema mm-hmm. and uh, and the Secret Fire podcast. Yes. And uh, so anyway, we were we were chatting about um, about this move towards uh, secular humanism. Um, mainly, the the his question that he posed. I don't know if we'll really dive into it a whole lot, but it was more about uh, the condition of people that make this move. Were they ever Christians? That whole thing. Oh. But mainly, I want to kind of just address the secular humanism in general, okay? Because it's a big thing. Like right now, I mean, it's like, it's it's the cool thing. It's right. it's um, it's uh, there's a huge movement out there in uh, especially in in our colleges right now. There are these uh, humanist groups popping up all over campuses and uh, and that sort of thing. So uh, I I guess first off, we need to kind of define what we mean by secular sure. humanism. So, what do you have over there? Well, uh, from my study, it's it's no new thing. Secular humanism Correct. has been around for a very, very long time. It's just been started the repackaged term- and resold, right? And- basically, the terminology "secular humanism" came around in the '30s and '40s, I guess. Mm-hmm. By the '50s, it was like the you know the token term on college universities uh, for non-religious people who are uh, who could be atheists but still moralistic. Yeah. So uh, secular humanism, um, <laughs> well, basically is exactly what it what it sounds like. It is it is the belief. Number one. So a couple things. Uh, there there are two main things to play when you're talking about secular humanist. Humanist. You're talking about morality, mm-hmm. and you're talking about theology. Okay. Mm-hmm. So secular humanists answer the question that yes, there can be morality outside of uh, a religion or right. a theology. Um, yeah. you can be an it's, atheist and still be a. It's like person. wanting to take the parts of Christianity that deal with love and compassion and humanitarianism and philanthropy mm-hmm. and all those and just take those and leave the theology leave the the um, leave the the faith in God take all the faith out of the issue right uh, here's a statement by um by a humanist who actually was a catholic and that's by the way in large, most of the outspoken uh, humanists, secular humanists that that you find out there, are and have been a part of Christianity in some form or fashion, right. and have now broken stepped away with, away yeah. from it. Uh, this guy says humanism exchanges fear for a free mind. It rejects religion's hunger for power and instead empowers the individual. It condemns theocracy and embraces secularism. Humanists are accountable to humanity, not to a deity. We give our lives meaning through how we live them. We reject violence as a means to spread beliefs. Humanism respects people, not ideas. We accept science, not supernaturalism. Humanism flourishes with free inquiry at the expense of dogma. We thrive on love, equality, and compassion. Ultimately, I am not a Catholic. This guy was a Catholic. Mm -hmm. I am not a Catholic, 
because I am now a humanist. Yes. And so what what's happened is is they've taken their religion and they've they've transferred it to this this ideology called secular humanism. Right. Um, there's an actual uh, group, uh, an, an official. A group of secular <laughs> a humanists. Denomination. A denomination of secular <laughs> humanists. The International Humanist and Ethical Union, and this is their statement of belief. Humanism is a democratic and ethical life stance, which affirms that human beings have the right and responsibility to give meaning and shape to their own lives. It stands for the building of a more humane society through the ethic based on human and other natural values in the spirit of reason and free inquiry through human capabilities. It is not theistic. It does not accept supernatural views of reality. <clears throat> yep. So anything that you can see, touch, taste, feel, um, that's their reality. Yeah. Number one. Number this th- life is all we got. That's right. So live it and be the best person you can be. Yes. There, there are a couple things that I'd like to refute on this already. Okay. This is really interesting. Affirm that human beings have the right and responsibility to give meaning and shape to their own lives. Who gives human beings the right? <laughs> they give it to themselves. Don't what? rights have to be granted from one to another? Just a thought. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, well, uh, one of the guys that, well, the article that Michael brought up that kind of spurred my thoughts on all this is an article from the New York Times, um, and it's called The Evangelical, Evangelical Skyon Who Stopped Believing. Okay. And it is a, an article about uh, Bart Campolo. Yes. Bart Campolo is the son of Tony Campolo. Who became famous. He was like Bill Clinton's yeah, uh, uh, spiritual, spiritual advisor. Spiritual advisor or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway. <laughs> he didn't do a good job. Obviously. Bart is now 58 years old. <laughs> I'm joking. 40, sorry. 48 sorry. years old. Sorry. Anybody that's a big to- uh, Bill Clinton fan. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just going to ignore I that and just move forward. <laughs> okay, anyways. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Bart Campolo started out as a Christian pastor following in his dad's footsteps, yeah. all this sort of stuff, and for years and years and years. And so, um, so like I said, he's nearly 50 years old and has this basically um, a, rev- a, a, releva- a revelation that basically occurred because he had a near-death experience. Like he was in a bike, he was riding his bicycle and got hit by a car and... Uh, was in a coma and all kinds of stuff. But anyway, at, when he came out of it, he basically just kind of uh, took the stance, you know, I've been living a lie. Um, I haven't been true to what I really believe. I've been running under this facade of of Christianity, and I don't have a lot of time left on this earth, so I'm going to make sure I am true to myself and true to the people that are listening to me and all that sort of thing, and basically broke away from Christianity. Uh, he told his wife, it says, it says um, quoting from the New York Times article, he says, Now, after his near-death experience, his wife told him more bluntly than she ever had what she thought was going on. You know, Marty said, I think you ought to stop being a professional Christian since you don't believe in God and you don't believe in heaven and you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead three days after dying and neither do I. And he knew that she was right. And he began telling his friends that he was post-Christian. 
and they treated him like an obvious gay man coming out of the closet. <laughs> People were like, yeah, we've known that for a long time. Why did it take so long for you to figure it out? <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, he admitted that he totally lost his faith and felt that oddly comforting uh, that he could stop living this lie. Um, but he also didn't know what to do from there. He wanted to still teach the things he was teaching, but he could no longer teach it to the group he was teaching it to. Right. So he ends up um, rebottling the concepts he was teaching in church, uh-huh. took it to college campuses, and is teaching it there in open uh, secular humanist groups. Right. So he's basically saying Christianity is right in that it treats humans the way they need to be treated. And but you can do that without faith. Right. And so that's that's what kind of so the 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 thing is the people find this very attractive, right? Because there's been this war on religion for I mean, especially, you know, over the past few years. Even Christians like, you know, the the word religion in and of itself, and even the concept of religion, and I, I agree with, to some great extents, religion in general is about us trying to work to get to God, mm-hmm. uh, about ritual and about uh, uh, works. It's a works-based ideology. Um, and so there's a lot of this, you know, I'm not religious, but I'm a Christian. Right. That's a big thing. Well, this is an extension of that. It takes it to the next level, though so I'm a humanist. But I'm not a Christian. Yeah. So, uh, so it's it's basically trying to um, basically say we can accomplish what Christianity's trying to accomplish without the judgment, without the the fear, without the 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 threat of hell, and all these other things. And so, obviously, in the in the quote that I read by the other guy, you get that right. What his mm-hmm. first statement was: humanism is about freedom and not fear. Right. Um, so, what do you think about their about the mindset that that is driving this? Well, I think that it's a uh, number one. It's a desire not to um, acknowledge God. Okay, uh, right off the bat, that's the biggest thing. In fact, the title of their belief system gives it way and they okay so there are two different types secular human humanism and then humanism which can also be very closely knit together with universalism mm-hmm. um, the secular humanists will say that they are not a religion correct uh, the humanists will say that they are a religion actually um, and they're they organize like a religion in fact they even celebrate different days like uh, all Souls day and all this <laughs> right it's very interesting um, but their name gives them away, humanists. Their focus is 100% on humanity. Um, they're on humanitarian effort. Their goal is to unite everybody in peace and in love, um, and they see if they can do that apart from religion. In fact, religion to them is um, not a helper of humanism, but a hindrance and a hurt to humanism. So when I say their name gives them away, they're focused solely on humanity. Humanity. Mm-hmm. All they care about is the <laughs> elevation of man above everything else. Which, uh, I mean, I can think of several texts that talk about seeking to 
worship the creation rather than the creator. Right. It was actually one of the passages that I was thinking about Yes, in terms of all this. Uh, Romans. In Romans 1, mm-hmm. verses 18 to 25, where... Um, and we'll just go ahead and, and I'll read that right quick. Uh, it's Romans 1, verses starting with verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God, I mean the NET, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness mm-hmm. and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Because what can be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen because they are understood through what has been made. So people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts and their senseless hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God or the glory of the immortal God for an image resembling mortal human beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the desires of their heart to impurity, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Mm, amen. Yeah, and so that's one of the biggest problems is, is they worship they worship humanity. They believe that man is the chief end of man. This is a very interesting thing. And this is this would be the huge separation, I believe, between secular humanism and Christianity. The chief end of man is to be happy for secular humanism, mm-hmm. to live at peace with one another in harmony. Right. Right? <clears throat> and so... Uh, which is a big, big problem we we have to deal with, because why is man not happy? Mm-hmm. Sin, right? Right. <coughs> but the chief end of <coughs> Christians is to glorify God, right? That's the chief end of right. Christians, right? So right there on their fundamental beliefs, they're totally opposite. Mm-hmm. But how they live out their lives is very close. Is very close because. Yeah. God desires for us to glorify Him by loving one another mm-hmm. and serving one another and taking care of one another right. and working in humanitarian efforts to end slavery and to end depression mm-hmm. and to unite. Jesus said that's my mission statement whenever He went to the synagogue, right? Right. I have been appointed to break the bonds of the captive, to to uh, to take care of the poor, to you know, all that. Right. And uh, so... You know there are these these this overlap, which made me really think about how Satan operates. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul said that that Satan operates as an angel of light, right? Because right. <clears throat> that's appealing. And he also think about how he how he addressed Eve in the garden. He didn't come right out and lie to her. He told her a lie that was mingled with truth that had truth in it. Mm-hmm. And so he blurred the lines between right and wrong and obeying God and not obeying God in this idea that and if you really want to think about it, it was a human it was a humanistic idea. Right. You can be like God. You know, you don't have to to be in this subservient position. You can you can be what God is. And that's a lot of what's behind some of this is 
serving humanity instead of God, uh, and being ans- like the the guy the quote I read that he's answering to humanity mm-hmm. and not to a deity, and so that was the pitch <clears throat> right. to Eve right right in the garden, and so there is. And the problem with this debate I, I see between Christians and humanists is Christians have a tendency that when they want to debate, they want to go full one direction or the other. Like there's no, like there's no in between on things. So it's like, oh, oh, okay, so this group uh, does this, that, and the other, and I don't believe that's right. So everything that group believes is wrong. Right. You know, they throw the baby out with the bathwater. Sure. And so <clears throat> if the humanist are about peace and love and compassion. You immediately want to go hippie, you know. Or you, I mean, you immediately want to start discounting the 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 points that they're making in that we should be loving people and taking care of people, blah blah. blah. But those are your mandates too. Sure. <laughs> and so, uh, so it's really hard, I think, for Christians to have this conversation with people because when passions get inflamed, you start ranting right. and discounting things that you shouldn't be discounting. Right. <clears throat> but getting back to uh, the secular humanism and, and what it happened. So, uh, again, the roots of secular humanism is to exalt man. Their chief means of exalting man is reason, right? Mm-hmm. So they um, they use scientific reason, and they believe in a, in a unified people. So um, a great picture of what secu- secular humanism can do when it overtakes a country, would probably be uh, the Russian um, Revolution. Okay. Um, Secular humanism was the backbone of the Russian Revolution in a lot of ways. Trotsky, Lenin, these guys are secular humanists. And they believed in uniting the people, right, Mm -hmm. for the common good. But what ended up happening was utter destruction. In fact prison camps whenever you didn't do what they wanted you to do. So they believed in their law, right? Right. Which was communism. Right. Unite the common man uh, for for the better good. And reason and science is our backbone, and we are going to exalt man, the common working man. No longer in classes, nothing, nothing going on here. This is humanism. This is the great humanistic experiment. Right. Right, is what's <laughs> happening. But what ended up happening was mass genocide, right? Mm-hmm. Killings, uh, slavery encampment, and corruption beyond yeah. uh, because on, on a great scale. It, because it engenders power struggles. Exactly, engenders power struggles. Mm-hmm. But not only that, the secular humanists have a, a simple flaw. I think more than anything else, they don't recognize sin. Correct. It's not. It doesn't really come into play. There is no sin. So they believe in morals, mm-hmm. but they don't recognize that man is inherently fall fallible. Right. right. So there was a great guy, Alexander uh, Shklachkian. He died in two thousand eight. <laughs> he was born in like nineteen fourteen. He was a um, he's a Russian contemporary. Actually, he lived through Soviet Russia. Um, and he's a short story writer. One of his best best quotes. If humanism were right in declaring that man is born to be happy, then he would not be born to die. <laughs> wow. Which is a, a really powerful statement. Uh, since his body is doomed to die, his task on earth evidently must be more than spiritual, uh, be of a more spiritual nature. Mm-hmm. So in other words... 
this great Russian experiment, it fails because man is born into something coherently sinful, right? Yeah, fallen. Or fallen. And not only that, but we're born for something greater. He, he touches on the whole idea, what, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? which is another big difference between Christianity and secular humanism. Secular humanism wants to conquer the world, but mm-hmm. they're going to forfeit their soul because Christianity believes there is a soul to lose in this battle. Right. There's a problem here, right? right, right. And we recognize sin. That's that's where you know the moral struggle, struggle and, comes and in. And that's the kicker because yeah. um, too many people, Christians included, miss the point of Christianity. Yeah. Like, uh, is the point behavior modification and good morals? No, that's not the point of Christianity. Sure, but if you go it's, out it's and a, you ask... It's supposed to be a byproduct right. of Christianity. But if you go and you ask what the point of Christianity is, or uh, ask it this way, how, how does one get to heaven hmm. by doing good deeds, right? Yeah, yeah. Their good has to outweigh their bad. Who There's goes to heaven and who goes scale, to hell? Good right? people go to heaven. Bad, bad people, people go, go to hell. hell. It's just and, naturally yeah. the way and, we think. And so, but the problem is that's a misunderstanding of what Christianity is all about. That doesn't deal with 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 the with the nature of sin. It doesn't deal with the fact that we all struggle with it. Whether no matter how much good quote unquote we do, right? Um, the, you're not dealing with the fact that there's a problem of sin, and that's the whole reason Jesus even it comes into the equation. Is to fill that that gap to to atone, as we did the the uh, the the episode on before. Um, and whenever you introduce this whole idea that we can have morals but no God, it's like by whose standards then? Exactly. So if so, if that's the biggest problem. Whose standards? Yeah. Who who's creating the moral standards? If morality is a relative thing, then who gets to make those decisions? What if I decide it's morally right for me to have your car and just take it? I mean, what if I think it's morally right to kill you and take your wife? See, and this is I mean, where, yeah. <laughs> and people, if, I, I, uh, I had a conversation with a friend who's a secular humanist, atheist secular humanist. And so we're discussing where where morals come from. To me, this debate, you cannot win if you're a secular humanist or an atheist. You can't win it. Because immediately, inherently, they are going to say, well, it comes from culture. Culture dictates morals. Right. Okay? So then my <clears throat> next... ever-changing. That's right. <laughs> So my next question is, so do you think that we, as an outside culture, should have told the Americans and the, and the, uh, and the Britons, right, should have, and the Russians, should have told Germany that what they were doing was immoral? They have their own culture. Yeah. And their culture believed that killing Jews was the right thing to the do. Benef- the benefit, the the beneficial thing for the country of for Germany. the country of Germany. So mm-hmm. they believed moralistically that they what they were doing was the right thing to do. So why, if that's the case, why in the world, where do we get the right to well, impose our morals on them? Right, and that's a great point because most people people will hear that and they'll go, "Oh yeah, come on, whatever." Because we always cast Hitler in this evil, maniacal concept in our mind which he was evil yeah. but if you step in into his into his world 
and you listen to the rhetoric that he spilled to get to that point right. and all that sort of stuff, it's about eugenics and all kinds of stuff that has science at its, at its base. Mm-hmm. He, he was a huge Darwinist. He believed that, uh, that to advance humanity, you had to weed out the, the ones that weren't going to advance humanity. So, in other words, you can't let the bloodlines be corrupted mm-hmm. by those who have genetic flaws. Less, yeah, less genetically uh, enhanced uh, blood. Right. <laughs> so, dumb people can't procreate. Crippled right. people can't procreate. And so, the best way to take care of that is, well, we'll eliminate the cripples. Yeah. We'll eliminate. So, what is his goal here? Yes, global domination was part of his goal. But what was, and I do believe he believed this ideology. Sure. What was his ultimate goal, though? It was to humanity. Peace. Yeah, create peace on earth. To bring humans to the best possible place they could be. Every, every religion has their own way to bring peace on earth. <laughs> when you really look at it. Mm-hmm. Secular humanism is no different. It's its own way to bring peace on earth. Right. But the problem is every single one of these is, is flawed in yeah. some way. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that, that humanists are Nazis. No. <laughs> but I am saying that a lot of their ideological thoughts, their, their ide- I- I- ideas, um, were backbones and fuel for the Nazi agenda, and not only that, but for the uh, for um, you know, I'm doing Animal Farm with George George Orwell right now. Yeah, you know, and I've I've done this for two years now, and the, even every time I do that, I I get further and further into their mind, their thinking into the hogs, into the hogs. Yeah, <laughs> I get further and further into their mindsets, what they what they were talking about, um, what they believed, and man, I'm telling you. A lot of this stems right from secular humanism, mm-hmm. th- these basic beliefs. Right. That we need to exalt man, and the end of it is always disaster. Right. Well, you know, um, Romans 3 is a, is a, um, a pivotal um, passage yeah. for understanding um, the difference mm-hmm. between this, um, this concept of... of Secular humanism versus Christianity, because a lot of the Christians who are jettisoning and heading over here, because basically it's the same thing without rules, mm-hmm. or it's the same thing without this mythological faith. This whole belief in this crazy, you know, yeah, yeah. It's like the it's not the same thing because Romans three verse ten, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. Together they've all become worthless. There's no one who shows kindness, not even one. Their throats are open graves. They deceive with their tongues and poison asps are in their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness and their feet are swift to shed blood and ruin and misery are in their paths. And the way of peace they've not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so it's it's basically saying, you know what? We're all on even ground here. No no one is righteous and and nothing you can do from a humanistic standpoint will make you that way. Right. No matter how good you think you are and it's like 
peace, love, and, 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 and happiness without God is really not peace, love, and happiness. It's, it's a myth. It's as much of a myth as it's more than a myth than what they uh, claim right. Christianity is. Yeah. The, the, the myth is the, this false understanding that somehow you're all going to somehow live in peace and harmony with no moral compass. Like the only moral compass you have is, is society and society's in a downward spiral, okay, where do you go from here? I mean, at this particular moment, even the humanists will probably declare pedophilia to be evil right? or be morally corrupt. I bet that's not the case 20 years from now or 30 years from now. Well, you look at the Roman societies. Yes, because all we have to do is look at our past to know where we're going. Right. And they did that. That was, we're just a step away from that. That's right. Full, full on acceptance, hedonism, doesn't matter, do what you like, uh, love who you want to love. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all love. It, I mean, it's all, I mean, bestiality, everything. It, where, where do you stop the moral decay? You, you don't. You just, let's just do whatever makes you feel good. Right. And as long as you're doing what you feel, what, what you think feels good, then your moral compass is going to continue to move. Right. And so, I mean, look at what else the Romans were doing. Colosseums, killing people for fun. I mean, watching animals tear people apart. Uh, <laughs> you name it. You know, I mean, where, where, does, where does your moral relativism impede that? Right. It doesn't. It's, it's amazing to me, this, this simple truth about morals. And to me, the, the proof of God is in that simple truth that people are so quick to say whenever their rights are being impeded upon that that person is doing something bad mm-hmm. and yet not quick to say that morals are not absolute. <laughs> right. You see what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, the, it's, it's like, uh, having your cake and eat it too. Right. And it doesn't or eating work. your cake and have it too. Right. The and so, and so, secular humanism doesn't work because of that. And humanism is no different. Humanism, like I said, universalism, um, they're very closely intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, they are universalism carries itself as a religion, um, but there's universal salvation, basically, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I think the reason I put these two no together... No one's going to hell. Right, no one's going to hell. And the reason I put these two together is because... <clears throat> um, because love wins in both cases. <laughs> yeah. Well, the reason I put these two together is because, uh, like I said, the backbone of Christianity versus the backbone of secular humanism, sin, this idea of sin, that mm-hmm. man is mm-hmm. inherently corrupt. He's born into sin, Right. Um, we need a savior. Right. Right? And so Jesus is the difference between Christianity and universalism. Right. This belief in Jesus Christ dying physically, dying for our sins, resurrecting on the third day, is the difference between us as Christians and universalists slash humanists. Right. Because and 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 here's the irony or the hard paradox in all of this: love is the central ingredient of all three. That's right. Of these cases, 
uh, it's just a different understanding of where that love comes from yes. and and how it um, reveals itself. So, for example, uh, from the Christian faith, it's basically God so loved the world, He gave His only Son yes. so that we could have salvation and we could have eternal life, right? So Jesus is the manifestation right. of God's love for us. When you move to universalism, God so loved the world that he's going to save everybody anyway. Mm-hmm. We're, uh, Jesus aside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, then you move into the further, into the whole... There's no sacrifice to there's, man. There's no sacrifice at all. It, right. We just have to know love. We just have to find love. Right. And we have to embrace love. Right. And again, all of these are towards the goal of peace on earth, right? Or ultimate peace or ultimate mm-hmm. happiness, right? But Christianity under, comes to understand that ultimate peace, ultimate happiness can only be found in Jesus. Yeah. And part of this, we just have to get people away from thinking that Christianity is about behavior modification and rule keeping. Amen. That's the truth. <clears throat> because that's what's driving people away. Right. That's what people are getting hurt by churches. They're getting hurt by whatever because they're hearing the wrong message. Mm-hmm. And they're getting the finger wagging from the pulpits and that sort of thing. And... They're not hearing people from the pulpit saying, No, no, you don't get it. I'm Everybody's as, messed I'm up. I'm as fallen as you that's are. That's right. And, and that's why Jesus had to come and die. Yeah. He died for your sin and my sin. That's the truth, you know? You know, it's the, the perfect picture of uh, every other religion trying to get up to God, and then Christianity is the one where God came down to us. Mm-hmm. And how cool is that? Yep. So, But so much, so many of... So much of Christianity views it just like all the other religions view their religion, right. as it's a it's a method to get to God, exactly. and and that method generally includes good behavior. So behave yourself, and you will be accepted. Right. Uh, misbehave, and you won't be. Um, and, and that that concept leaves Jesus completely out of the equation. Right. So uh, the last thing that I kind of had on my notes to. Uh, to talk about in this is basically a message to Christians because this is, this is a Christian podcast. Most people listen to it's going to be <laughs> Christians, right? So I, I guess it's a message to Christians to basically say, don't when when we look at these um, secular humanists, we're going to see them as as enemies, right? right? Because they are atheist and they are uh, et, et cetera, and and they are decrying. Uh, Christianity, they're defaming Christianity, and they're they're um, they've got they're vehement in it, mm-hmm. and so you're going to want to react in, as an enemy or that sort of thing. But the thing that you have to remember is that that's exactly what they think you are. Right? They're already looking at you as the enemy, and if you come at them with, "Well, yeah, yeah," but you're going straight to hell. <laughs> They're, you're not going to change anybody's mind with that. Are you sure? I mean, it's worked so much for me in the past. <laughs> hey, man, did you know you're going to hell for that? <laughs> yeah. And so that's exactly, you know, we've earned yeah. the, the, the reputation that, that the humanists are throwing on us. Right. And so you don't go to them. With that, you go to them on their grounds. Right. You go to them with love. You go to them with compassion and mercy. I mean, after all, what did Jesus tell the Pharisees? 
You know, we, we've talked about this in our latest podcast when we were yes. talking about the Good Samaritan. You know, it was like you've you've kept the law, you've you've followed all these rules, but you've neglected the weightier matters of it, which is love and mercy and justice. And so those are are weighty matters to Christ to to Christ. They are, yeah. And so you have to go be that. So it's not about behavior modification as much as it is about transform transformation, regeneration, making sure that you are Jesus to these people. Right. Where did Jesus spend his time? Eating with sinners. Yeah. Hanging out with prostitutes. So much so that people were calling him a glutton and calling him a drunk and all these other things. Right. And so you go to them in love. You show them Jesus through love oh. and through actions and mm-hmm. not through condemnation and uh, rhetoric and religion and right. ritual and all the things that they've already spurned. Most of them, like this guy that that kind of got me thinking about this, uh, Bart Campolo, he, there's not anything you could tell him from a preaching standpoint that he doesn't already know and probably that he's already used. Right. So it's like the the sad thing to me is that this guy went nearly 50 years of his life in preaching Christianity, pastoring a church or whatever he was doing, and not understanding the very basic mm. concept of of it. Right. That that it's not about being a good person. Right. That it's about being Jesus. Yeah. Amen. And glorifying God. So anyway, wow. Uh the last statement I got on here is secular humanism is comparable to true Christianity in that love for others is an essential ingredient of each. So although we're different in major ways, we also have a common goal. And if we can show them that 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 they can be what they're trying to be. Right. And to a better more fulfilled way through the love of Jesus, then I think that'll go a lot further. Amen, man. So, you got some news, man? I do. And now, the news. President Trump named Neil Grosich, a conservative Ivy League educated federal judge known for his way with words and defenses of religious freedom as his Supreme Court nominee during a live broadcast. (laughs) A favorite pick among Christian conservatives, Grosich fulfills Trump's promise to select a judge that, quote, evangelical Christians will love and who also stands a solid chance of scoring Senate approval. Grosich's federal appointment by President G-Dub in 2006 was uncontroversial. Judge Groeschel's combination of an intellectual horsepower and worth ethic has enabled him to excel academically at the world's best universities, become a first-rate lawyer and judge, and develop remarkable verbal uh, abilities, said Robert Pushall, a constitutional law expert and professor at Pepperdine University School of Law. An Episcopalian, Groeschel accepted... Uh, what he called a most solemn uh, assignment, remarking, I am so thankful for my family, my friends, and my faith. These are the things that keep me grounded in life's peaks and sustain me in its valleys. If confirmed, Groeschel would become the high high court's only Protestant justice. Wow. Really? Yep. (laughs) The only Protestant justice. He's a young man. Fairly young. Oh. 
He's like, he's 50. That's a lifetime appointment. That's a lifetime appointment. I'm really excited about that, man. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's, you know, part of the reason that I'm glad Trump won, personally. <laughs> uh, even though I'm I can not tell a big... You just really hate to see that. Ugh, ugh, <laughs> ugh. But Grosset should do a good job as a Supreme Court mm-hmm. judge. So that's pretty awesome. It's awesome. a good deal. Yeah, <clears throat> report 18, uh, 1,880 Australian Catholic priests allegedly involved in child abuse. How many? 1,880. Wow. Australian Catholic priests. Oh, so just from Australia. Mm-hmm. Man. An investigation by the Royal Commission of the Institutional uh, Institution. Yeah, institutional responses to child sex abuse has found that 7% of Australia's Catholic priests have been accused of child abuse. That's crazy. Between 1950 and 2010. Of the testimonies that the commission has heard, 4,440 people have come forward with claims of abuse by members of the church between 1980 and 2015. The lead lawyer for the commission said that more than 1,000 individual Catholic churches and 1,880 individual clergymen were named in the claims. Authorities say the claims all seem to be pretty similar. The average age for girls was 10 and a half and 11 and a half for boys. It took the victims an average of 33 years to report their An abuse. average of 30 years. Wow. So yeah. if, if you're the Pope, how do you fix that? I, <laughs> one way. Allow the priest to marry. That's it. Mm-hmm. That would fix that problem by multitudes. Yeah, allow the priests their sexual needs, it's, which is exactly what Paul says. Yeah, it, it's it's better to marry to, to marry than to burn <laughs> than to burn, and that's the truth. Though mm-hmm. we are made to be sexual beings, mm-hmm. God created sex as a good thing. Yeah, as a wonderful thing, and a priest should not not be allowed to be a priest. And not be married. It's ridiculous. Yeah. There's no grounds for it in Scripture. No. Personally. The, so. Well, the only thing that I can think of is that, you know, a lot of people want it, like to use Paul as an example. Well, but Paul's a bad example. So, <laughs> well, he is a, he's an exception to the rule yes, and not the rule. That's the point. And, you know, and Paul himself, even uh, when he's talking to Timothy, he's talking about how there's a lot of groups out there that are forbidding marriage, and that's not right. Right. So, so. you know, anyways, Pope, if you're listening, <laughs> there's there's a good way you can fix this. While man. you're changing things up. <laughs> Let them get married. Let them go get some wives, and it'll change this. Um, so but why is it that, and maybe it's just because these are the most offensive and, and they, they come to light more, but you know, and maybe this is just a part of humanity that I'm, that I'm, I haven't like grasped. Okay. But I'm thinking, okay, if you're, if you're sexually repressed, why are you not like raping women? And why, I mean, why would that not be the sin? Why would that not? Why is it? Little why is it focused on children? I think there's two reasons. The first is, well, first, you're less likely to get caught. Less likely <laughs> to get caught. Absolutely less likely to get yeah. caught. It's an easier target. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, sexual deviation is a rabbit hole. So if you're repressed sexually, 
Yeah, it's going to continue to get worse. It's going to continue to get worse. And what's going to happen is is you're going to go deeper and darker in your sin. Um, and you can look at sexual addiction and you can see that yeah. laid out. So it starts as pornography and ends up doing that other thing. Um, but, and I, I guarantee you that if priests aren't fulfilling the, those sexual needs in a, in a holy way, they're going to end up f- trying to fulfill them in a non-holy way. Mm. And that's just going to lead to a darker sin. But I think the other thing is, is uh, the priesthood gives an out to boys who struggle with homosexuality. Well, I just won't get married. I'll become a priest. I'll be married to God. Right. So they see that as an attractive alternative. Mm-hmm. And it ends up them repressing their not only sexual urges but homosexual urges yeah. to the point where they're molesting boys mm-hmm. and they're with boys all the time right because they have alter you know they have catechism and all that stuff so it's a it's a mess it is a mess and it would all be solved well I correct that 80 to 90% of it would be solved if he just allowed the priest to marry. Mm. Just saying. Thorn birds. Seriously. <laughs> All right. Uh, Metallica's James Hetfield yeah. narrates a documentary about porn addiction. Wow. Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Boom, it'll kill you. <laughs> Metallica's frontman, Hetfield, provides the narration for a new documentary that looks at the issue of porn addiction, its negative psychological effects, and what it can do to relationships and how to overcome it. The film, called Addicted to Porn, Chasing the Cardboard Butterfly, is currently being screened around the country. For the movie's official synopsis, this is what it says, it may well... Uh, in what may be well one of the most devastating issues in modern culture, the film will break down the damage that porn is doing to us as a human race and leave you thinking that it's clearly time that we start taking porn addiction a bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. It's not the first collaboration between Hetfield and filmmaker Justin Hunt. Hunt interviewed Hetfield along with a variety of other well-known artists and writers, including John Eldridge, you know who that is, hmm. uh, Wild at Heart. Still doesn't Christian writer John Eldridge. Oh, oh, okay. I was I was thinking another no. rock and roll guy. No, uh, in a film about disengaging fathers called Absent. It's pretty cool. Hmm. So well, you know, um, it's funny how even people that are secular are acknowledging this the damaging effects of this stuff. Exactly. I mean, even like Russell Brand. Have you seen? Have you heard oh, Russell yeah. Brand go off about uh, pornography? About how bad pornography is. What's uh? And, what's his name from <clears throat> Brooklyn Nine Nine? The big, big old black guy. Um, I forget his muscle bound dude. Yeah. He went off on it. I mean, just went off on total tirade about it. So yeah. is that uh, Terry Crews? Terry Crews. Yeah. yeah. And so you know, and it's a but it's a big deal. <laughs> it's a big deal. All right. It's a big deal. If uh, Is the God who reigns over Election Day also in charge of Super Bowl Sunday? <laughs> Experts did a study about whether wife, white evangelicals believed that God was in control of the elections in the same way as he was in control of Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> Believe it or not. White evangelicals are twice as likely to say... Is this a poll? Yes. Okay. 
God plays a role determining the outcome of the presidential election than determining which team wins major sporting events, such as the weekend's face-off between the Falcons and the Patriots. 71% saw God's hand in Donald Trump's victory, while just 36% recognized him as playing a role in the big game, according to a new poll put out by PRRI. Among all religious groups, non-white Protestants, 41%, were most inclined to say that God determines who wins in sports. Wow! I kid you not. Forty-one well, so, percent. Hey, well, isn't that even that the full-blown hyper-Calvinist would have to oh, say yeah, that? Yeah, definitely. Right? Okay, so here you go. Uh, these are the two questions asked. God, or these are two statements. Agree, disagree. God rewards athletes who have faith with good health and success. In other words, God rewards Christian athletes with health and success. Yeah. God so plays, the more Christians you have on the team, the more successful you'll right. be. Right. God plays a role in determining which team wins a sporting event. Because that worked out in the Roman Coliseum. Those are the two things. Yeah. All right. Okay, go ahead. So 49% <laughs> of all Americans say that God rewards athletes who have faith with good health and success. 49%. See, this is going back to this... Our oh, yeah. culture's total I misunderstanding I, I totally of what God does and what he expects and all this sort of thing. This is like... Well, hold on. Listen to this. 65% of non-white Protestants say that. 62% of white evangelical Protestants. Over half of us white evangelical Protestant Christians say that God rewards athletes who are Christians with health and good so, and success. One of, the, one of the things that I find interesting about that poll is that it's assuming whites and blacks aren't going to church together. It is, but that's the truth. Well, I mean... Oh, they, dude, look at that. Racial divide. Le- Lecrae said it best. I, Most segregated time a day is Sunday service. <laughs> and he is exactly <laughs> right. But, well, I don't know. I'm He's just, exactly I'm just, right I'm just saying that, that it doesn't promote you know that, that there's unity in the races, but of, there really isn't as in, far as Christianity, Christianity is concerned. There's not, man. There's black churches and white churches still. Well, that's true. I mean, so, it, it's 2017, and if I walked into some of these churches, they would look at me like, "What's whitey doing here?" But if <laughs> black people walked into some of the churches around in our rural area, they would be like, "What's that black guy doing in my church?" <laughs> I'm not joking you, and you know that's true yeah, too. It's sad. It is. It's disgusting, but it's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. One another way that Christianity, mainline Christianity in in our culture, has let people down. That yeah. needs to get fixed, man. It does. <laughs> right now, I agree. So, if if you're in North Texas mm-hmm. and you're a black Christian, mm-hmm. come visit us at the way. That's right. We want you. Yes. We're not just a white congregation. No, we're not. Well, we are. Well, but but we're not. But we're not. We're not designed to be that That's way. That's right. Amen. We don't want to be that way. There is no color. There's no race. Yeah, we want you. Yes. <laughs> Unbelievable. They're probably going. Why don't y'all come over here with us? Exactly. <laughs> That's the truth. Dude. Oh man. The number. Think about this. The number one denomination, the highest with the highest numbers, originated because they wanted to keep their slaves during the Civil War. The Southern Baptist denomination. <laughs> the highest numbers in America. That's your heritage, man. That's my heritage right there. <laughs> and get this, there are black Southern Baptist churches. 
Of course. <laughs> Isn't that insane? Because because the slaves had to have yeah, church too. Yeah, they did. <laughs> so messed up. Okay, so what, what was the poll even about? I forgot. Oh, uh... <laughs> Basically, they asked the question, and I deleted it, so it's gone now. So don't even a- ask me the questions of who. But <laughs> you sidetracked yeah, on we it did. totally. Basically, it asked the question. So, if you believe that Donald Trump, that God, oh, oh that God is um, intervened in Donald Trump winning the election, do you do you also believe that God intervened in the Patriots winning the Super Bowl? Yeah. Well, the arguments for this for me, yeah. Because because I, I would say that yes he it, that the the election was divine uh-huh. not because I think that Trump God, is good and God blessed and Hillary's Trump. bad or anything like that but because the scriptures come right out and tell us that he appoints kings and judges and That's all that right. so the the our flaky Americanism is what casts the fact that oh just because. He was elected. It means he's God's chosen. Like he is, like the he is this ultimate. God thing chose Hitler. That, right. Oh, right. So that's the, so that's the whole point. Is Be that it's there. not always for your benefit. Sometimes it's for your judgment. That's <laughs> that right. That he sets these. He kings appointed in place. Nebuchadnezzar, man. Right. <laughs> Check that out. <laughs> and even the Assyrians. That guy was way worse than Hitler. <laughs> and and uh, look at all the things that happened in Judges with the the, the Midianites and all yeah. those things were... were Baby I mean, eaters, dude. Yeah, so... But anyway, kind of digress. <laughs> but there's nothing that would preclude a pastime like a sporting event yes. in Scripture. Yes. So I'm not... Uh, I'm not, not down with this whole Super Bowl. I'm thing. not down with that whole thing just because they're patriots or whatever. <laughs> I was actually, it was one of those things. I really didn't have a dog in that hunt. Uh, but I was rooting for the Falcons. Sure. Because they're NFC. Yeah. Just like Dallas. Right. Right. So. Got to root for them. Yeah. So that's kind of by extension. So I'm rooting for, for Atlanta in a kind of non, I don't really care way. And, uh, but then I was actually kind of glad with the final outcome, mainly because it was Super Bowl history. Yeah. There were so many historical things that happened in this game. Yeah. You know, so it was like, you know, uh, first time we had five time winning coach, five time winning uh, quarterback, uh, the biggest comeback of all time in the Super Bowl. Right. Like doubled, more than doubled the the record of what it was before. It was the first overtime Super Bowl. So, I mean, there's just a lot of cool things. A lot of awesome stuff. I didn't even watch it. You didn't? Hung out with Blakely. Wow. Well. No big loss. <laughs> Dallas wasn't in it. That's exactly right. So I'm like, eh. You know, if I would have went to a party, I would have watched it. But I really didn't feel like it. You know, I was just yeah. like, man. You had, a, you had an invitation. I did. And I almost came. But I really, I enjoyed the time with Blakely. It was great. So Yeah. That's, that's going to last you longer anyway. Yeah. All right. I got some Pope news and then we're out of here. Oh, let's do some. Brothers and sisters, come together. Speaking of the Super Bowl, one of the greatest commercials to come out of the Super Bowl was Pope Francis himself addressing the Super Bowl crowd. And actually, they played this in the Houston Coliseum on the big screen. Here's a little taste of it. It's all in Italian, right? Yeah. Great sportsman events like today's Super Bowl are highly symbolic. Showing that it's possible to build a culture of encounter and a world of peace. 
By participating in sport, we are able to go beyond our own self-interest. And in a healthy way, we learn to sacrifice, to grow in fidelity and respect the rules. So anyways, yeah, yeah the Pope well, addressed... Hey. I, I don't know, this might be the first time the Pope has ever addressed a Super Bowl crowd. Yeah, I don't know. But, but that was... Another historical it's fact. Cool. Well, and it's and it's it's cool to make uh, to to make metaphors like that people can relate to. Right, it's a modern day parable. May yeah, hey, he may have gotten some people thinking about Christianity through the yeah. Super Bowl. So so I like this a pope. All right, well, hey, you know what? We haven't done in a long time. Trivia. Yeah, you want to do something? Uh, bring it on. The old trivia. Yes, 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 indeed. And, uh, oh, I didn't have my random number generator, so we'll just pick one. So I'm going to go with, uh, let's just start at the top. I'll go with Old Testament. (laughs) You're not a random number person, are you? All right, go ahead. Okay, you want me to read you Old Testament? Yeah. Okay. Unless you want me to choose the topic for you. No, that's fine. With the two consumables, oh, sorry. With what two consumables were both Egypt and Canaan said to flow Indicative of their prosperity. That's easy. So easy. You're welcome. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy Chikanaka. <laughs> I was trying to think of a good, catchy, wacky thing to say. <laughs> I just kidding. It's like, uh, you know, uh, hot dogs and hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> Milk and honey. It's a good place over there, and I got some French fried taters and biscuits and <laughs> yeah. mustard. Yeah, some biscuits and mustard. Mm. Yeah. The land that's flowing with biscuits, biscuits and mustard. mustard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what topic do you want? Oh, that was milk and honey, by the way. Yeah, milk and honey, you got it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's, um... It's just flowing with biscuits and mustard. <laughs> What's HG... History and geography. Oh, gosh. I don't want to do that. What is P? Prophecy. Uh, do Old Testament. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How did Absalom steal the hearts of the Israelites? By sleeping with David's wife prostitutes. <laughs> no. How did Absalom steal the hearts? Yeah, of of the people of Israel. I have no or, clue. Of Jordan. Count it wrong. Judah. I have no clue. He interrupted those who came for David's help, saying that David had no time, but Absalom would, if chosen, judge their suits. Second Samuel 15. Did you know that? Mm-mm. What in the world is that? I was like you. I, I just mainly thought about him taking taking his concubines <laughs> on the roof or whatever, so that the oh, world well. could see it. Yeah. Mm. So okay, let's do one more. Um, I'm going to do the history and geography one. Who moved his regal headquarters from Hebron to Jerusalem? <laughs> Hmm. 
I'm going to say Solomon. Incorrectly. Ah. Is David. David. David did it. was close. David started the whole Jerusalem thing, man. Yeah. The threshing floor thing. Okay. So which one you want? History and geography. Why not? Okay. What group rebelled against Syria and maintained an independent Jewish community in Judea? I'm gonna ref- I'm gonna revise the the the, the, the C- Hang on a second. S- okay. I'm gonna revise the question a little bit because I think it's not entirely accurate. Is that during the intertestamental period? Yes. What group rebelled? It says against Syria, but that would really be uh, the Syrophoenicians. So was it the Maccabees? Was it the Maccabean revolt? Yes, it's the Maccabeans. Awesome. So. Awesome. We ready to get out of here now? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, by the way, uh, I had some people comment on the uh, on the trivia that we use. Oh, yeah. So if you're interested, we use the old rainbow, that's the best way I can t- describe it, rainbow board game. <laughs> the Bible Bible trivia is all it's called, but it's got like the little rainbow and the yeah, doves on the, yeah. on the board and you move up. I it remember was, it. Out of all the, the Bible trivia things I've ever seen or played or whatever to me it's my favorite because it doesn't it doesn't treat you like you're an idiot right like the questions aren't all centered around uh samson and yeah. noah and <laughs> jonah right i mean there's there's actually I mean, there's it is meat in here trivia man <laughs> a lot of that we don't understand and then some of them, it's it's like hilarious because you'll get a, a question that's super hard and then right after that it's like who wrote half a psalms like, right. You know? <laughs> right right so anyways all, all right, right let's do this let's rock and roll the Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and stay up to date with all of our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and the Secret Fire Podcast. Visit our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line. We haven't had one of those in a while. 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Neonauts. If you like us and want more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again to explore the vast reaches of God's word with us. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. Thank you, David. All right, God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your great commission. This is your great commission transmission. At GCTNetwork.com. This is your
transmission. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, stop it. <laughs>